I often find myself getting into like places mentally where like I feel bad if I like can't will myself through something like an 80 minute aqua dogging session. But like it's really important to give yourself some grace, you know, like you're already like probably most people in like a more tender emotional place recovering from injury. So whatever you need to do to like refuel your spirit, like, yes, yes, there are going to be elements of time where, you know, crushing, it's hard to make it super fun all the time. You know, you need to manage that and be okay with it, but really don't allow yourself to delve into more of like a negative cycle because of just the mundaneness. That was Abby Cooper. And this is the Running on Own podcast. Last month, when we were in Flagstaff, I would see you, Abby, and you'd have a scoop of collagen and greens every morning, and I got pretty curious to try it myself. Yes, collagen and greens has, for a while now, been a staple in my daily supplement routine. Collagen and greens is made by the amazing folks over at X Endurance, and I've started to incorporate one scoop of it daily into my morning smoothie. What makes collagen and greens so important to your daily routine, Abby? So I started using collagen last year while struggling with an Achilles injury at the end of my track season because I found out there's research that taking 15 grams of collagen an hour before doing five minutes of rehab exercises can actually cut healing time in half. So I'd take it twice a day before doing my calf raises, and I was able to manage my Achilles for six weeks through intense workouts throughout the track season. And the way that I take it is mixing one scoop with six to eight ounces of water. And even just with water, I genuinely enjoy the taste. Yes. And if you're not a runner, collagen and greens benefits still are numerous to living a healthy life. Collagen and greens has antioxidants that support the body's immune system, energy levels, natural detoxification process, and healthy aging. If you're interested in trying out collagen and greens yourself, visit Running on Ohm's page at shop.teamxnd.com slash running on Ohm to receive up to 10% off, which you can also find a link to in this episode's show notes. A big thank you to X Endurance for supporting this episode of the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Running on Ohm podcast, or maybe welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm really grateful that you've chosen to tune in. Here on Running on Ohm, we feature long-form style conversations with women in endurance sports and in the outdoors. Although these conversations focus on women's stories, this podcast is for everyone to listen to, for everyone to hopefully be inspired and empowered by. This Soul Sister Sessions conversation with Abby Cooper is part of a monthly series where Abby and I come together to explore the deep parts of life, sport, and relationships through listener questions and our lived experiences. Abby is a professional distance runner for New Balance, specializing in the 5,000 meters. Abby represented the United States in the 2016 Olympics and is currently training to represent the U.S. at the 2020 Olympics. I feel really grateful to call Abby one of my best friends. And in this month's episode, we're focusing our conversation on running. We totally nerd out on all things running, from overcoming injury to our favorite cross-training tips and secrets. Abby discusses tearing her ACL at the 2016 Olympics and how she returned to running at the highest level post-surgery. Abby and I both discuss navigating bone stress injuries, how we prioritize running in our daily lives, and lots more. 
We are so grateful to the many questions that we got this past month. And next month, we're going to be focusing our conversation on eating disorders in honor of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So please submit your questions or thoughts for next month's episode on runningonom.com slash sessions. If today's conversation resonates, you have a favorite cross-training tip or something else to add to our conversation, please do reach out on Instagram. We always love to hear from everyone. Okay, friends, let's do this. Let's dive deep with my soul sister, Abby Cooper. Abby, so good to be back with you. So good to be back too. Thanks, Jules. Thanks as always. Yeah. So what has been the best part of your day thus far? Let's see. Um, You know what? I actually, this morning I had half a run, half a cross train, and I, I actually... I felt like such a like student today. So we live like very close to the Ab State campus and I actually took the bus because I've, I've literally gotten like three parking tickets in a not appropriate amount of time. So I was like, I think it's time to take the bus. So th- there's literally a stop like super close to our house. And I like had my backpack and got on the bus and it was really fun to feel like I was in college again, believe it or not. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I did that. And then I walked home from the gym because it's only like a mile. Got to see, stop in and see Jake during his lunch break. So yeah, just like switching up the routine a little bit has been the best part of my day. I love that. And later in this episode, we're going to really dig in further into cross training. So I'll save my questions for you on that. Love it. How about you, Jules? The best part of my day was... Usually, usually is in regards to my dog. And um, today I took my dog Bodhi and one of his best dog friends on a walk, who's one of my best friends' dogs, um, because she's at work all day. So I picked up her dog and walked them around Fresh Pond, which is a place in Cambridge where everyone walks their dogs and run. And it was pretty gross outside, but it was just so fun to see the dogs running wild. And Bodhi even jumped in like the dog pond and tried to start going swimming. And it's like 20 degrees and he just loves swimming. And so that was kind of fun and entertaining to watch. No collisions today. No collisions. My dog has a history of many vet visits to the ER in the past year of his life. But let's let's focus ourselves. Soul Sister Sessions is not about my obsession with my dog. It is about <laughs> connecting and having real conversations about sport, about relationships, about our paths. Let's check in a bit more. What has really been present for you in this past month? Hmm. So, yeah, right now I'm in, a, I'm in a place where I'm just so, as I was saying off air, I'm just so thankful to be home. Um I've grown to really enjoy Flagstaff as kind of a routine uh, period of time where I'll spend, you know, at altitude, as we said last time, this was my fifth year doing that. So it's really familiar for me, but this year I was struggling with a bit of an injury um, and didn't do very much running while I was up there. So yeah, it posed some challenges kind of 
physically, obviously, but also emotionally. Um, sadly, my training partner wasn't able to join this year. So yeah, the trip was a little different than what it normally is. And I was there for a couple weeks longer. So I was so relieved to get home. Um, yeah. And reunite with my husband and just be, yeah, restored, I think more to normalcy. I'm ramping back up into running. So I just feel a renewed gratitude, as you know, like gratitude is so, is the strongest coming off of seasons like that. So I'm grateful that I have a bit of time here before outdoor season starts and just excited to kind of make some tweaks with my training to prioritize staying healthy and, um, yeah, be back with my people here. Do you feel like the altitude effect, like, do you feel it in any way in your training right now? That is a really good question. I would say stay tuned on that because I'm not sure. Like I, it didn't take very long for me to feel like myself, quote unquote, aerobically, just in regular distance runs. I've only done one very short track session. So I think probably within two weeks or so, I should know, like if I feel relatively like myself on the track, then yeah. Um, I mean, I would hope that six weeks up there, even cross trading would have some sort of effect. Um, uh, yeah, it, it probably would be helpful even to get some post altitude blood work to confirm that. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. That's the plan. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. And what's, what's new and present with you? I am just deep in grad school right now this semester, and we have a class called Human Growth and Development that I'm just obsessed with. It is definitely the heaviest class I've taken thus far, like twice the amount of schoolwork than any other class. But it is so interesting to learn about kids' development psychologically, emotionally, physically. And this week we're studying and learning a lot about um, transgender and intersex populations and identity. And it also feels really fitting because Friday is Valentine's Day. And for me, like something that's been coming up in all of this is like, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, like love is love and love should be celebrated. And I'm just feeling pretty fired up about trying to be more of an advocate to be more inclusive in how I speak about people and about gender and sexuality. And that starts with education. Like I didn't even know what intersex was or the different ways of identifying as transgender and the limitless like possibilities that are gender. And so I'm feeling like my mind is being blown over here. <laughs> totally. Even the language around it. Yes. Yeah, so you have just in the past 30 seconds used terms that I've never heard, honestly. <laughs> so yeah, there is like a, an education involved. And it's amazing, like from when I was in college, I mean, we both graduated 2014 and now it's 2020 and like so much has changed in the academic space and how people are referring to themselves and introducing themselves. And so I want to continue to just be more mindful and educate myself and hopefully start to educate others on how we can make this space more inclusive. I also think I've been thinking a lot about how this podcast is about like women's stories, but I also ultimately it's about people's stories who are underrepresented. And that also includes people who are non-binary and who are trans transgender athletes. And so this is an open call here for suggestions from the running on community. If you know of any non-binary or transgender athletes out there, who you think stories compelling, like I would love suggestions to kind of widen my scope. All right. 
Awesome. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. And we heard so many good questions this past month. Um, we we're focusing specifically on running, on training, on injury, on cross training, all all the stuff you guys like to nerd out on. So let's let's dig right into it, Abby. <laughs> Us too. We love to nerd out. This is awesome. Thank you guys. Yeah, this is kind of like what we do off air is just talk about like what's your favorite cross training. So now we get an excuse to Now we get an audience for it. <laughs> totally. So the first question Abs I'm going to propose is um, from a listener who says I am a runner recovering from ACL surgery and hoping to get back to running marathons. How did you return to running? What were the key activities that helped you get back into your running form and shape? And I want to add actually a question to this question was for people who don't know, how did you tear your ACL, Abby? I think that's also important for people to kind of the backstory there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a great question. Um, and something that is relatively rare among runners. So I always I uh, don't feel relieved that this happened to a fellow runner, but um, it is a small community. So thank you so much for reaching out. Um, so I tore my ACL in the 2016 Olympics, um, running the 5K preliminary round. Um, I was involved in uh, just a pace change and a couple of people fell and including me, my foot got caught under another runner and my knee twisted. And I found out later that I, that I did tear my ACL and meniscus. Um, so I had surgery to repair that only a few weeks later in September of 2016. So it's been a while now, but believe it or not, um, it, takes a really long time. Um, not necessarily to get back to running. I think I was running in about five months or so post-surgery, but yet yeah, to restore normal, um, symmetry to your body and yeah, just rhythm and form, um, has honestly taken years. So I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll try to keep it brief. I think one of the most important, um, suggestions that I would make is, um, finding a quote unquote aggressive manual therapist. I think that, um, obviously you only, you know, your body knows like what it can handle in terms of intensity of manual therapy, but it really wasn't until I saw, um, someone who is by trade, a, a chiropractor, but does a lot of soft tissue work, um, who is re really able to get into some of the scar tissue that develops around the knee and surrounding tissues. My hamstring had a lot going on there. Um, yeah. And so I was running quite a bit before I started seeing this, um, this doctor, but one of the biggest hurdles was just managing that scar tissue, you know, until I was able to address it um, and regain full, like a lot of practitioners will say, you can start running when you have full flexion, um, I'm sorry, full extension. But I found that until I had full flexion where you can, you know, bend your knee and to the point where your foot can touch the back of your touch, touch your hamstring, basically, um, without having that, um, you're placing, excuse me, I found undue stress on other structures like your hamstring. Um, and it just feeds more left to right asymmetry. Um, so it's really hard to get back to normal running form and to not compensate when you don't have that flexion. So I would say you don't need to like not run until you have that, but, um, but would strongly suggest 
finding someone who is able to appropriately handle that scar tissue. So that's one thing. Um, another suggestion I have would be to do activities like trail running. Um, because some, you know, when you have a major surgery, like the ACL repair, um, your brain sort of goes into overdrive to protect that side, um, for months and months and even years. Um, so things like trail running will force you, um, a to, it just places you in more of a situation of unpredictability where every time you land your foot, um, it recruits different muscles and, you know, your foot strike is a little bit different. Um, so that, that just requires you to, to, um, restore that connection between your brain and your body where, you know, you, for me, it was my right side where I'd strike with my right side and my brain would say, Oh, I actually do have a lot of strength there. Like I'm okay. This is not a threat. Um, yeah. So trail running was a great way to combat that. Um, as was strength training, I was doing some Olympic lifts, which I know for certain people at certain lifestyles, that's not exactly practical, but strength training overall was really helpful building symmetry and also form drills is that was something that I started to incorporate multiple times a week. Um, and just really intentional form drills where I'm not, you know, where I'm just focused while I'm doing them. Um, yeah, again, to just regain that normal form. That's all super interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I think even if it's not an ACL surgery, someone's recovering from like any type of surgery in your body, how to rebuild like the neuromuscular connections um, with oneself in that physical area. Everything you've said, I think just applies to really like any kind of surgery to the body. We also got another question from another listener on ACL stuff who said, what was the hardest hurdle to overcome during ACL rehab? I tore mine too. So I think from a physical standpoint, probably one of the hardest periods post ACL was just the first couple of days slash weeks on pain medication and, you know, sleep is obviously disrupted with that mood. And then, yeah, just, I think I was a bit overwhelmed knowing the amount of rehab that was in front of me that I didn't necessarily, um, you know, and I didn't, I hadn't been through that sort of surgery before, so I didn't exactly know what to expect. I think that was one of the hardest points. And then psychologically, um, I'm not sure if the individual who asked this question is a runner. If you are, it is, as I said before, a relatively rare um, injury for someone who specializes in distance running. So it was challenging to feel like somewhat of a case study, um, with the practitioners I was seeing who were very well equipped in handling ACL injuries in general, but not necessarily for someone trying to compete, um, as a distance runner at the elite level. So it took a lot of time and support and creativity to figure out what my body needed and to learn how to be an advocate for that. So I just really encourage, you know, those who are really overcoming any major injury. Um, yeah, no one, I mean, really any injury in general, no one knows what you feel. And so I would just encourage you to be, um, a gracious advocate for that, even, even, um, in communicating with practitioners. Yeah. I remember the week after you had your surgery, I went to your parents' house where you were staying and hung out with you for a little bit. And I think one big thing that stood out to me during that time was 
you need a lot of support, you know, when you are rehabbing something like an ACL and a major surgery and you have an incredible family and partner around you. And so in terms of like overcoming that hurdle, just making sure you have a support system of people who really like are there for you, even if that means someone to pick you up, hopefully from the hospital, but also just people to help see it through with you. Yes. Like not being afraid to lean on those people. Yep. Physically, emotionally, and psychologically. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys for those questions. And now let's transition um, to another one. Um, So this question, here we are in quotes, this question isn't necessarily articulate, but for a soul sister session, something I would be interested in hearing about is how you prioritize running in your lives. I think it would be interesting to juxtapose the pro athlete running life balance with the non pro athlete running life balance. I love it. (laughs) We know who's the pro, who's the non pro here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, for me running and moving my body, the bottom line, it's about my mental health. Like right now, as I'm navigating this foot injury of mine that's been going on for a while, like moving my body is just paramount to my mental health. And so finding a way that I can move my body that's healthy, that's nourishing, um, that is not causing any destruction to my body. And that's something that I love to try to do almost every day. And so how I balance it or how I prioritize it, my health is my number one thing in my life, period. Like if I don't have my health, I don't have life is how I feel. Yeah. And so moving my body is, I would say, the top one of the top priorities in my day, second to my relationships with the people I love. And then everything else falls in. And I recognize on one hand that's like privilege because, yes, I don't have children and like I don't have to support my kids. Um, and I do work and, you know, I do have grad school. So there's other priorities, but it's always in my day when I look at it, it's like, OK, what am I doing to make sure my health is being taken care of because I've been in really dark places in my life where I've been at the point of not wanting to live, you know, and that's really scary and I never want to get back there. And so how I view running is just at this point, yeah, for mental health. And I hope at some point in my life when my foot injury clears up, I'll get to a place where I can actually have like more structured running training um, and that I could have like a goal um, of a race I want to run or a running experience I want to do. But right now it's just, yeah more health related. What about you abs? Where, what is it like to have running as your job? (laughs) Yeah, man, I am so thankful that I get to say I can make my, make a living this way. Um, yeah, I see it as a real gift and have to constantly humble and remind myself of that. Um, and, but even, even with that, you know, I think as, as I've spoken about and many people know, there are a lot of pressures that come with that label. This is my job. And it's something I really struggled with initially, um, right after signing a contract and, and still do, um, in, in striking a balance of how to maintain freedom, um, and joy in it. And, and then also take seriously and honor, you know, those who are sponsoring me. So, um, yeah, I like to think about it as one of, the main priorities in my day, not only because it's my job, but more importantly, because it is a calling from God. Um, and I'm, and I'm just always coming back to the reality that I'm devoting 
the majority of my energy to it every day for that reason, that it is a calling. And that allows me to do it with gratitude and not a spirit of fear um, because of the pressure. But in terms of balancing work and life, I find after much trial and error that I'm most fulfilled when I'm also involved with other purposeful activities. You know, my day isn't just running, sitting and eating, which if some people that rhythm works for them, that's wonderful. Doesn't work for me. Um, so in the past, that's meant being part of a book club or church events. I know Jules was part of a book club when I was back in Boston. That was so much fun. Um, but now, um, yeah, I'm doing some volunteer assistant coaching with the app state team, which I really enjoy. And, you know, there's some administrative work that is involved with things like this, like our podcast and also managing social media content, which I'm trying to get more organized with. And spoiler, I do have a website that I'm building that you know about, um, yeah, girl. <laughs> that will be coming out hopefully soon. So so yeah, I like to stay involved with community and, and things like that as well. Yeah. And I think as you bring that up, I think what came up for me is like, unlike you, where running is not my job, like my running, my movement might be an hour, 10 hour 30 that day, whether it's the time it takes to get to the gym or to get outside or whatever. Whereas for you, it's very all encompassing. I mean, the different manual therapists, you know, you have to see and the different recovery practices yeah. you have, like it is for you, it is the number one like work priority. Do you ever wonder like what will the place of running be like in your life like 20 years from now? Oh man, Jake and I have a lot of conversations about that. Um, yeah, because I, I, it's really hard for me to envision any season of my life without that element, whether or not it's, you know, competition is still involved. Um, but I do, I do know that when the time comes, like I'll be, I'll be ready for it to be a lesser priority where yes, I'm still absolutely like the movement and the spiritual component of that, you know, um, is, is huge for me. And so it will always be integrated, but yeah, especially with, you know, wanting to have a family someday, like that just is not going to be the number one priority. And so, um, yeah, I do foresee a time where I'm not necessarily seeing multiple practitioners a week and, um, yeah, it will just take on a different role. And, but right now, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel that this is the, the exact rhythm that I need to be in. And so it will be cool when, when naturally it does start to transition, you know, that it will be clear when I'm ready for that. Yeah. You got, yeah, you still got some more work to do. Yeah. So the next question we got, um, from a listener and we actually got a couple questions that were all pretty much the same. So I'll just sum it up, which was talk to me about a typical cross training week, the length of cross training and intensity every day. So yes, very common and great question because there are a lot of schools of thought on this, which Jules and I, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit. Um, and, and honestly, I think the way that I personally have cross-trained, um, over the years that I've been injured, which is really just in my professional career, um, has evolved under different coaches and yeah, just different, um, years in terms of the Olympic cycle or, you know, competition season. Um, but I really do my best to simulate running volume and intensity as accurately as possible 
regardless of the form of cross training I'm doing, which tip that's anything from lap swimming to aqua jogging, elliptical and bike. I like to maintain some variety in there, keep it fresh. Cause it's not exactly the most thrilling activity as many of you know. Um, I I've spoken to a lot of people that have the belief that cross training necessarily requires more volume. Um, that, you know, in extreme cases that some people will say you need to do double the volume. I really don't believe that at all. As long as you're, you're working hard, you know, in your heart rate. Um, I actually, the only time that I train using heart rate is when I cross train. Um, so if on like a regular easy day where I'm just trying to get in some aerobic work, I want my heart rate to be anywhere from 140 to 150, sometimes 155 you know, if I'm feeling good that day. Um, and yeah, if I'm, if, if it's consistently at that heart rate, then I don't see the need to go much longer than I would for a regular run. So like on a neat, on easy days, I do like 60 to 70 minutes in the morning and 30 to 40 minutes in the afternoon, just, just because that is closest to what I would normally have on an easy day with my running volume. Um, And then I will typically like a regular running week have two hard sessions where I'm getting my heart rate up. Like if, if it's a Friday, I might be doing a tempo normally outside. And so I, I, it's, it's actually, I find very hard to simulate a a tempo, um, just doing that like continuous work, um, on any form of cross training. So I try to just keep my heart rate up to whatever it would be during a tempo, um, 170 ish. Um, and then with short rest in there. Um, and then if I'm doing intervals, like, you know, if I was on the bike or something, I'd try to get my cadence going to, to about what it would be if I had like 400 reps. So really it's, it's, it's about, um, the way that I've been taught is to do the best you can in simulating running. Um, I don't find that I need to do a lot of extra volume. I do like a long, long run session where I'm, you know, on it usually, I'm not on the, like any one, I'm not doing any one activity like biking for, you know, an hour and a half. That's, I could do that, but usually I like to, um, switch it up with like half bike, half elliptical, something like that. Um, yeah, that's kind of the general ethos of what I try to do. Yeah. So tell me so many questions for you follow-ups from me, but, um, before the real Olympics, I remember you were cross-training a lot. And I have this memory of you telling me that when you were actually at the Olympic Village, people asked you if you were on the U.S. swim team because (laughs) you were in the pool so much. Yes. Tell us about that. That is accurate. Oh, my goodness. That was such an interesting time. Um, Yeah. So I I was diagnosed with a stress reaction on both sides of my pelvis three weeks before the prelim of the 5K. So I was medically clear that I could run the race, but I really was told I can't do basically any running until the day of the race. So yeah, I was, um, during that time, because it was my pelvis, I was told that swimming was actually the best non-impact activity to do. Um, so I was lap swimming. Thankfully I grew up swimming. So I'm able to utilize that well as a, uh, cross training activity. And, um, yeah, it was lap swimming most days twice a day. Cause I really needed, obviously I was headed to the Olympics. So I 
kind of needed to keep my heart rate as high, you know, do a lot of aerobic work and try to simulate anaerobic work as much as possible. Um, yeah. And just doing actually when I was, when I was, um, doing altitude training in Boulder the first year as a professional, um, the new balance Boston team went to Boulder and actually did a lot of training with them with a masters. I had a stress reaction there too. Um, I did a lot of training with a master's group at one of the, um, gyms there and they had an outdoor pool. And I learned a lot from the coach, the master's coach about how to, how to do anaerobic work in the pool. So I actually utilized a lot of the material that I, that I learned there, um, during that buildup for Rio. And I was able to, I mean, as you guys know, I wasn't able to run that full race, but I was able to, you know, maintain 15, 15 or 15, 20 pace for three K. So yeah, I mean, what I was doing allowed me to handle that. So and yeah, for those just, who don't know, you ended up falling, which was the whole ACL thing. So, I mean, exactly. you would have maintained it to the end if, yeah, if the, what had happened hadn't happened, I imagine. When mm-hmm. you were, when you're in the pool or when you're cross training, do you ever visualize running? Do you listen to podcasts? What do you, like, what do you do to keep yourself mentally there? Yeah. Um, uh, visualizing when I'm doing a hard intensity workout, um, visualizing where like myself on the track is one of the most helpful tools. I have like a variety of things that I try. Not all, all of them work all the time. Um, plug for Ryan Hall's podcast. He's a great podcast, the run free podcast on, um, great episode on, yeah. Mantras during, during workouts. He gives you 28 mantras in the episode. <laughs> so it is good. actually unreal. We're going to have to link to it in this episode show notes, but I actually listened to it when I was on a run and it just was like life changing. Yes. And Jules referred it to me. And um, yes, highly recommend that. Fantastic. Because it really, it's true that not every mantra is going to work every time. So um, yeah, to finish answering your question, I I visualize myself on the track quite often. Wait, which I track do- specifically? Ooh, I don't know if I've ever thought about that. Actually, I thought a lot about the track in Sedona. I mean, probably just because I was at altitude. So recently I thought about the track in Sedona. That's where we work out. Um, but when I'm, I can't listen, I can't even listen to music when I'm doing an interval. I mean, I'll literally like be in a bike, a spin room by myself. And I, I guess my patience is just low when I'm working hard. And I've found that even when I'm running, like even if music is on in the background, like, and I, don't like it. Like it just, it affects my concentration. Wow. So, but, but when I'm doing an easy session, yes, absolutely. Podcasts or music 100%. But you don't watch Netflix when you're doing an easy session indoors, right? I can't. I've tried it before. I've tried it before. And then I look down at my heart rate and it's like 120. So I just, I'm like, so I can't multitask literally in anything that I do (laughs) despite all my efforts. So I wish that was, that was an option for me, but not quite. Got to save it for when I roll out later that night. I love it. (laughs) How are you, Jules? Yeah, I feel like we both have become the cross training queens, having had many, many stress injuries, which we'll get to later. Um, But for me, cross training has to be fun. Like, I really feel like, and that for me, it means I love doing cross training outdoors. And that's been a huge reason why I've 
enjoy cross-country skiing and backcountry skiing and biking outdoors, road biking, mountain biking, hiking. I even bought a pair of roller skis a couple summers ago, and I have no background in Nordic skiing. I have no place to be roller skiing in this city, mind you. So basically any cross-training outdoors I'm game with and I love. Um, but like right now, as it's um, the weather outside is not great for biking outdoors, which is what I would love to do. And I don't live next to a mountain in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I have been spending a lot of time on this spin bike indoors. And unlike you, I multitask when I'm on the bike. So this week I've been watching lectures for school and taking notes while on the bike. You've been taking notes? Yeah. You're kidding me. Well, probably my heart rate's going really low, but also <laughs> unlike you, I'm not trying to make an Olympic team. So I'm I'm just trying to like move my body and get some peace of mind. And so, I mean, I definitely am sweating. I, I sometimes wear a heart rate monitor, depends on how I'm feeling. Um, and I'm able to keep my heart rate up for sure when I'm on the bike and watching lectures and stuff because I get so fired up about what I'm learning about. Um that's excellent if you compare those two. Yeah, so it's been good because we have like hours and hours of lectures every week to go through right now. Um, so it's been a kind of a nice way of doing them both. But yeah, cross training, I think also something to say is like it shouldn't be painful. I think especially when people are either integrating it like when they're coming back from injury or they're injured. I'll hear someone be like, well, this actually was bothering my hip or my back. And if a cross training is painful, that's really important to listen to your body and not do it, not go overboard with it, to seek out help. I have a coach, even though I'm not training necessarily for a race, um, my coach Alicia Vargo is incredible and she's just a sounding board for me to make sure I don't overdo it, to help me get out of my cycle of injury. And so that's really, really big, I think, is that the cross training you choose should be in service of your healing, especially if you're injured. Absolutely. Right. And depending on, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this off air as well before. Are there any, are there any, um, cross training activities that for you, you just find like across the board or off limits because either they're painful or they're too boring or whatever for, for you? Yeah. So historically with my foot injury, elliptical would re- really bother it. And so I just wouldn't go on the elliptical. And in the past, like I've, I've been like an elliptical fiend during other injury cycles, but that's not something that I do now. And funny enough, swimming actually has bothered my foot a lot. The position that swimming puts my foot into in plantar flexion and dorsiflexion really bothers my Achilles. And so this summer when I was trying to swim in Walden Pond, which is outdoors, um, I would just notice it would always feel really sore. So I was like, this is not worth it, even though swimming is considered to be like the most low impact um, exercise. So I'd be curious to try swimming now for me. But I think that's just like cross training shouldn't be painful. And I want to put that like on a on a billboard. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important reminder. What about aqua jogging for you? I just don't have the patience. I mean, aqua jogging is not painful and I would do it. I was doing it outside this summer at Walden Pond like twice a week. And I loved it because I'd go to Walden and I'd get my like aqua jogging belt and I'd, you know, just like walk into the pond and all the old people around me are just like doing laps on laps <laughs> around the pond. And then people would literally come up to me in canoes and kayaks. This would happen like every time and be like, are you okay? Because I'd like go into the middle of the pond because I'd like to go across and back. And then he'd be like, are you okay? Are you drowning? <laughs> and oh I'm like, gosh. no, don't worry. I have like a belt on and I'd have like my little hat, my sun hat. 
Um, so I love aqua jogging outside, but to be yes. in an indoor pool sounds like death to me. And that's kind of where it comes to like cross training should be fun at this point in my life for me. And so to do it indoors in a pool is not fun. So I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, I love you. seem really as you should be like content. You've, you've like made your decision on that. And so you don't have to feel guilty about it. Cause I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I, I I often find myself getting into like places mentally where like I feel bad if I like can't will myself through something like an 80 minute aqua jogging session. But like, it's really important to give yourself some grace, you know, like you're already like probably most people in like a more tender emotional place recovering from injury. So whatever you need to do to like refuel your spirit, like, yes, yes there are going to be elements of time where you know, crushing, it's hard to make it super fun all the time. You know, you need to like manage that and be okay with it, but, but really don't allow yourself to delve into more of like a negative cycle because of just the, the, um, mundaneness. Is that the noun version? Whatever. Monotony. Uh, cross training <laughs> whatever word you want to use <laughs> but also cross training I mean I'm now as we speak I'm remembering a memory I have of us um, actually aqua jogging together indoors at a pool in Vermont when you visited um, the running camp and so northeastern kingdom running camp and that was super fun so I imagine if I had buddies to do it with like you it wouldn't be so bad and also what was amazing is Abby aqua jogs with new balance shoes on and goes beltless <laughs> She's so hardcore. I get so many looks about the shoes. The lifeguards are not always a fan of that. But um, yeah, that was a tip actually. Um, Nicole um, Teeter actually uh, gave me, she was, she was a professional, um, she's an Olympian and professional uh, runner in the 800 meters and was our massage therapist when I was in Boston. Um, Yeah, she gave me that tip to where if you do need a little bit more resistance at the time, Um, I was doing a lot of aqua jogging, so I was getting accustomed to the movement. Um, so I did, I did wear some running flats and that was really helpful for those who, yeah, are, have adapted to either the belt or just running regularly without shoes. (laughs) Okay. So before we, before everyone hits the pause button, as we continue to talk about aqua jogging, um, let's talk about days off. We got a question um, in regards to actually cross-training where do you take days off when cross-training? Many athletes often say they don't take days off when they cross-train. My answer is in all caps, yes, exclamation point. Um, I I think that um, regardless of what activity you're doing, your body needs um, time to reset whether that's every week, every other week, sometimes some people do every third week, whatever you normally, you and your coach have decided you're going to do throughout your running training. I think it's important to stick to that routine. Arguably, I mean, some people would argue that you might even need more complete off time, especially if you're recovering from a bone injury, um, where even if you are doing a lower impact activity like biking or elliptical, there is still some impact there. Um, Not to mention, as we just described in detail, um, just the emotional drain that comes with, um, cross training. So, so yeah, just a day to completely, uh, zoom out and unplug from that environment, I think is important for the body, mind and soul. 
And so when you're training, like normally run training, do you take a day off every week? And is is that something that your coach holds you accountable to or you hold yourself accountable to? Yeah. So again, I've, I've done several different things with this and we might even be in the process of, um, shifting things uh, again, coming off of this most recent injury. Um, for the past, I would say 18 months with, um, under coach lane uh, or Chris, um, we've been doing a day completely off just once a month and we've gone back and forth. Cause I'm, I'm used to, you know, under Mark, I was taking one once every three weeks. And there was a time where I was taking one once a week. So I'm, we're, we're navigating what we're going to do next, but, um, I, I am definitely going to be taking a day completely off more frequently from here moving forward. Yeah. And in college, what was the culture on your team around days off? It was similar to what I was doing under, under, um, Mark professionally. And for those who don't know, Mark was also my collegiate coach. Um, yeah. So we would every week, every Saturday, we would take an easy day of like usually just a 30 minute shakeout run. Um, and Mark was of the belief that that was similar to a day off just cause we were running so easy. Um, and we didn't have structured practice. Um, but then we would take a day completely off once every three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting when we define, like, what is a day off? Because I'll have, like, runner friends or other endurance friends who are like, well, is you going to a yoga class or going to a bar class a day off? Like, what actually constitutes a day off, I think, is really personal to each person Mm -hmm. um, and whatever, like, their training activities are, their goals are. But I do think, at least for me, um, taking a day off every week is really important. And I think it's a way for me to allow, like, my my hormonal system to reset. It's also helped me like prevent burnout, especially during times of injury when I'm just cross training and there's no running in my week. I can get really burned out from just cross training. And because yeah. running for me is on the top of the po- t- running is for sure the most fun out of any of the activities I do for me personally. And so I can get really burnt out. And then I think for my long term health, I also think about it like just to just to keep things sustainable. Um in my system, especially if you're running like a lot and you're running seven days a week, I think it's really personal to figure out like what is your intention behind it and what is the impact of it on your system and on yourself? And are you actually recovering from your sessions and able to hit the ones that you want to hit hard? Yes, yes, yes. I think I totally I'm nodding. <laughs> People can't see I'm nodding as with everything that you say. I think it's it, I mean, for me, I mean, and we've talked about this too, like the idea of a Sabbath, like of a day of rest from work that look, that's going to look very different for different people. Um, and, and I've had, yeah, different thoughts about like, you know, if if I'm just doing like a 30 to 50 minute easy run, just getting that done first thing in the morning and, you know, going to church with Jake and then having a day like, yeah, of just unplugging from things. Um, I was just having a conversation with, with my coach about just like, how do we preserve the well, you know, like when you're spending more time cross training, even if you're just running a lot, you know, doing volume or whatever your form of activity is. Um, I think that we need one day a week to just refill, um, yes. our energy stores. So yeah, I, I would encourage listeners to be mindful about what that looks like in your, it doesn't even have to be Sunday. Or Saturday, a weekend day, you know, if you work different hours, it could be a day of the week. 
Totally. I think that's, I love that phrasing of like, how do you preserve the well? My talk therapist and I talk about like, for me, my phone is something that brings me a lot of stress. And like, I receive a lot of text messages every day and I feel grateful to have such a wide network of people in my life that I love, but it's really overwhelming to me. And she encourages me. She's like, Julia, you should try to take one day of a week where you just don't turn your phone on. What would that be like for you? Wow. And I'm, yeah. So like, what about taking, I mean, we're just going like taking the day off. Like, what does that mean even beyond like on a physical level? What does that mean spiritually for you or mentally for you to like actually fill up your cup in a different way or to let yourself recharge? So the wheels are turning here for me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's a good challenge. I might take you up on that or try that out. Yeah. I, yeah, it kind of scares me. So I'd be curious to hear from listeners if people have any kind of what their perspectives are on days off and what that means to them. And I think both you and I are definitely type one Enneagram, type A personalities. And so taking days off for us is not as natural. Whereas some other folks, it's like no big deal. Yes. Rub off on us, please. Yes. Share your (laughs) wisdom on how to chill out. Okay. Next question. Yes. A continuation of injury, love and journey is, Um, Share with us about your experience recovering after stress injuries or long periods of having to take time off. How do you come back to training? So both of us have had personal experience with with this. um, Too much personal experience. Yes. Yes. Amen. Um, I would I would say depending on the um, location of the injury, I and yeah, I've seen different doctors about this too. I think I've taken anywhere from six to 10 weeks of no running at all. Um, for some, um, areas like, you know, hip or sacrum, there's been a little bit of time at the beginning, like right after diagnosis where some doctors have suggested like no exercise at all. Um, the first time I had, you know, a sacral stress, stress, stress reaction. Um, that was the advice there. And then I did some swimming, Um, so, but yeah, if it's a lower leg injury, injury, typically those heal a bit faster. The risk is exactly. Yep. Um, the risk is a little bit lower of getting back to running sooner. So, um, yeah, then after that period of cross training, um, I will definitely utilize either walk runs or use of the Altergy or potentially both. Um, walk runs could, you know, will start for me somewhere like 60 seconds on 60 seconds off times 10. That's typically where I would start. And then, yeah, the alter G maybe start at 60%, 65. Um, and then building up from there, the buildup again has looked different for me. And I don't necessarily believe you might have a different opinion, Jules, that there's really a right or wrong way to do it. It's so much, and this is so challenging. So much of of that period where you are transitioning is just about your intuition. Um, knowing that it's okay to feel a little, you know, you might be, you're going to be pretty sensitive to what you feel in that area. And it's okay if you feel something, as long as it's not pain. Um, I always say like awareness is okay. Pain is not, um, of an, of the area of injury. Um, but it really can't hurt to be cautious in those weeks. Um, you know, where you might be antsy to get on a like continuous run. Um, it it's, yeah, I've found 
<laughs> and I know you have too, Jules, it's better to just err on that side of just being patient um, so that you don't have to go through that whole cycle again. Cause the risks are real, you know, the risks if you are start super feeling, real. yeah, if you start feeling that pain again, you might have to like go back to square one. Totally. So yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I definitely have taken a bit more of a conservative approach than you. And that's also, again, I think because this is not my profession and I don't have, you know, people I'm reporting to, um, I have usually taken anywhere between 10 to 16 weeks off of running entirely. And I found it super helpful to have like a coach or a doctor help guide me through it and like actually have create a program and someone I check in with once a week. At this point, I like think I've had six or seven stress fractures, which I notice I feel really embarrassed to even say, but I'm just going to own it. That's a part of my journey yeah. and history. And I'm really excited for 2020 to be the year of no stress fractures. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> but um, so I'm coming for you. Um, a stress <laughs> fracture year for a year. Um, so having someone to guide me through is huge. And then as far as like coming back to running, I'd say it takes me about like two months to even get back to a point where I'm running 20 to 30 minutes. I know that's really different for you, especially because this is your job. Um, but for me, when I'm really looking at like my long-term health, obviously you are too as well. Um, but the practitioners I've worked with have started out really conservative. So like my first run walk would be 30 second run, two minute walk times 10. And not doing run walks every day. It's every other day or every third day even. Um, and so, yeah, and just having a plan helps me feel like I actually have like guidance and a structure. And I agree with you about following your own intuition. But I know for myself, my intuition would definitely push it too much and want to get greedy um, right. and go like too much too soon because yeah, I probably areas of my body are probably healed at that point. But really giving myself the time to reintegrate running in a smart way has been helpful. And despite me having done all this, I've still gotten more stress fractures. So I'm not saying it's it's perfect, but I can feel like every time I've had a stress fracture, I feel proud of the way in which I came back and how long I took to give myself the time to rest. Yes. Like I've never, I almost treat it as seriously as I've treated like running training, being like, I'm going to rock this recovery it and that's the that's the only way to approach it yeah you have to you have no choice I mean that just is such a draining time like you have to just be the same type of athlete as you would be if you were running totally um yeah I think that's such great insight about knowing your personality like knowing that okay my intuition is typically going to push it too far. So this is why I need a coach. And I'm with you in that totally with you. I so appreciate my coach, like writing, even if it has to be written in pencil, you know, like every three days or whatever, you know, like just based on the feedback, I'll give him just, um, kind of refining my plan. I would, another thing that I want to say too, is that it's, I think like I, I spoke to this a bit earlier, it's common when you're recovering from a a long-term injury, like a stress fracture reaction, um, to, to get, I know that I, like, as soon as I get a diagnosis, it's so crazy how the brain works. Like my, I just go into this like hypersensitivity mode where like, I don't even want to put any weight at all on, even if I'm told like, it's okay to walk, walk around on it. So I'm finding more and more that I really have to train my mind in like 
just like to have a plan and like day-to-day life when I'm like taking a shower, stepping into the shower, like, and I feel it like just calming down my brain really and saying to it, like, this is not a threat. This is part of the healing process. Like setting my expectations so that like, at least initially, like when I do feel it walking around, no, like expecting that when I wake up and get out of bed, I'm going to feel a little bit of pain during regular activity. And then, and this is part of the process, you know, whatever you need to say to yourself to help, like, um, yeah, just like minimize that threat that really your brain is like sending signals to your body that like, okay, feel pain, you know? Um, I was talking about this very thing with my physical therapist, James, yesterday about how like our mind sends signals to a certain area of our body that we've had pain and chronic pain in. For me, that's my foot. Like all the time I'm thinking about it, whenever I'm stepping, I'm guarding myself. And we were just speaking to the importance of me rewiring that like mental pattern. And that comes back to what we spoke last month on like bringing a lot of mindfulness and also compassion. Like it's understandable you'll be hyper aware or sensitive to that area, but also really trusting in your body's resilience and capacity to heal. Yes, exactly. Um, And I, I think, yeah, there's so much information on mindfulness, but like even I think to to recognize that even in day to day, like I'm, yeah, just doing like whatever stuff around the house, you know, and I'll feel it's like important to, um, like not see those thoughts again, mindfulness with judgment, but to, um, have a plan for how you're going to respond. Um, and then a couple other like quick tidbits, Sorry. Don't <laughs> say so sorry. No more sorries in 2020. That's another one of my goals is <laughs> to stop so saying sorry. That. Oh my gosh. I needed that to be my resolution. My Starting friend Aaron that. tells me that anytime I say I'm sorry, I also have to say I'm sexy. Oh, yes. <laughs> so if you catch yourself, you're like, I'm sorry, oh, I'm no. sexy. That might be too extreme for me. <laughs> um, Bring so, your tidbits. Okay. So yeah. One thing that I always say when speaking to youth on this topic as well is is how important it is to stay in community, as we know, but like really, I mean, planning, being planful about like, okay, if I'm going to be doing this long aqua jogging session by myself, can I reach out to a couple friends and see if they're free to spend time together later for dinner or whatever? Um, just being like super proactive about that. Um, again, like preserving the well. And then also um, some great tips that I got from the Shalane Flanagan Run Fast Eat Slow Cookbook. Shout um, out is the importance. Yes, another shout out of foods like bone broth. Like I think sometimes we'll with bone injuries think about like oh maybe I should take a calcium supplement, but actually like regular food, um, nutritious food is actually in many cases so much more beneficial than an over the counter supplement. So. Um, bone broth, um, and any foods with a lower acid content, um, would be helpful. So yeah, minimizing coffee intake or processed foods, those would be higher acidity foods. Um, just minimizing that so that your bones can really heal, get the vitamin D and, um, minerals, like even magnesium is an important one that we don't often hear about, um, to heal those bones. And that's all so, so important. So last question, you want to read it for us? Bring it home. Yes. Now this one is on running intersecting with life. We love this question. So running is such an individual sport. 
yet it is such an important part of millions of people's lives. I struggle sometimes with feeling selfish for spending so much time out on the trail just for myself or for my team. How do you think running can intersect with being a quote, good person for and with others, whether that is through charity, empowerment, or activism? I'm just going to snap to that question. Yes. I don't know if you can hear me. Thank I'm like, you. that is awesome. Whoever you are and wrote that, you are so thoughtful. So I, I already that. just like adore you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. It's so, it's, that's a hard balance to strike. Jules, what do you have to say about it? Wow. I, so many things to say. I think that I totally understand you and feeling like you struggle sometimes with feeling selfish for spending so much time on the trail or training or for me cross training even. Um, But I try to remember that running is or moving my body ultimately gives me the space to fill up my own cup or as you said, Abby, you're well. And so that when my cup is filled up, I can show up in my life fully. My partner, my boyfriend says to me, you know, often he'll notice on days when I don't like move my body or exercise, he'd be like, you really need to go run today, (laughs) you know, because it completely changes like your state of being. And so I think that like, as far as spending so much time for yourself, it's actually just you preparing yourself to show up in the world. And then I also feel like running how it intersects with being a good person or I think there's so many ways people can get involved with running in their community and also globally. For me, running has introduced me to some of my best friends in Boston and in the world. And I feel like running allows you to also really get in touch with the nature and the trails you run on and the changes of seasons and be bring awareness to climate change. Like I'm so much more passionate about the advocacy for our trails through running because I actually have such an intimate relationship with them. And then I also, for me, running like has brought me to some of the most incredible places in my life. It's brought me to Ethiopia and doing a lot of work there. And so I think running can just be for everyone, like in their own personal way, finding a way to connect with your world or your community through it, whether that's through an organization or a relationship, a person, finding like your personal why. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Tell me about what this question brings up for you, Abs. Yeah, man, I, I do, I do totally also relate to that feeling of uncertainty or guilt around some of the personal time of, you know, that is naturally a part of running. Um, it, it, yeah, it does feel indulgent at times. I think that word is appropriate, uh, strong, but appropriate. And, but I would just encourage you to, reframe, you know, um, as Jules mentioned, the way that you see that as a resource, a form of self-care so that you can be prepared to, and be full to pour yourself back out to others. It's really just being like responsible. Um, I think, and, um, so yeah, see it as that and enjoy that, not feeling guilty about it, which I'm constantly having to challenge myself with, but also taking advantage of its power. Um, to connect you with others. I totally echo Jules in that I've met some amazing human beings, not to mention my, like, I think every one of my closest friends I've met in some way through running, through the running community, through the act of running. Um, 
Yeah. So there's that piece of like just learning about yourself and connecting with people with similar interests, but who also are like totally, I've met people of like totally different personalities who really challenge me, um, through that same space. Um, and yeah, it's also just such a place. It's a running itself as a teacher, you know, and it sounds cliched, but it really is it's a cliche because it's true, um, that it's a school for learning about adversity and, and not, not even teaching character necessarily, but revealing, like my husband will always say like sport doesn't necessarily teach character. It can build and teach character, but primarily it reveals character because you see when you're in the act of sport and competing and acting really instinctually, it reveals who you really are and and shows you, you know, areas for improvement, areas to build qualities you don't already have. Um, and then, yeah, it just creates a really powerful platform. Um, Jules and I have both been privileged to be put in positions where we can, we do have a small audience and we can, because of that audience, reach communities in need, I know Jules has done a lot of work in Ethiopia and she's really passionate about that. Um, and, and communities in need might not just be physical need. It could be emotional need. It could be spiritual need. Um, yeah, just through, I know both of us through injuries have been able to connect with the younger athletes who are just struggling through times of adversity. Um, I've been able to talk to a bunch of people in Christian communities and how to find value and purpose even non-Christian communities finding value and purpose beyond sport. So yeah, there really isn't much, I feel like in terms of what the good stuff in life that, that running can't offer. Yeah. There's, yeah, there was a lot of wisdom in that. I, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. That was beautiful, Abby. Great question to end off on, but thank you to all of you guys who submitted such good stuff for us to talk about today. Yeah. I really enjoyed nerding out. <laughs> Love so it. What's next for you in this month? What, as you said, you've come back from a little hiccup with your, with an injury and flag. What's ahead for you? So I know that both you and I have talked about heading down to Atlanta in just a few weeks now. Gosh. I think it's two weeks from this weekend, um, to watch the marathon trials, uh, which is going to be amazing. Um, for me, it was more of a last minute decision to head down there and cheer and, um, see some friends. Um, so that's coming up on the horizon. And then, yeah, as I mentioned before, I'm just transitioning back into running now. I won't be racing probably until mid April or so. Um, not sure what that will be yet. I'm going to sit down and talk with coach next week, but, it's great to just have a couple months to buckle down in normal routine again, get my legs back under me and start doing some more track specific work. Cause I've got a 5k standard that is quite fast to, uh, to have my eyes on. So yeah, ready to prepare for that. Will this be the first, um, Olympic trials that you've ever spectated? Ooh, Yes, it is. Actually, it is. I have not thought about that. Yeah, because 2012 and 2016, I was running, obviously. Um, I've never I'm so excited. The more I think about it, I'm so excited. It's going to be such a fun. I've, I don't even think I've been to Atlanta before. So um, it's just going to be so energy charged. And to be there with you by my side is just going to be like an added gift. 
Oh, yeah. I'm so excited as well. I got to spectate the 2016 trials in LA and it was incredible. And this time around, I have two really close girlfriends, Molly Seidel, who's been on the podcast, and my friend Emma Spencer, who's going to be on the podcast, who are both running, and lots of other women who are just incredible. I think I'm just so excited to watch and support and soak up the good vibes of American female distance running right now is just so exciting. Yes, yes. Absorb that energy. It's going to be so good. Hopefully the weather is good too. I have not actually looked that far ahead, but it's not August. So (laughs) I've been to Atlanta. Actually, I have been to Atlanta and it was in August and it was not very enjoyable. So yay, February. Yeah, it'll be cool. I next month um, also put this out there, but we are going to be focusing on eating disorders again. Um, this at the end of February into March is Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and we shared about our journey with eating disorders and would love to take follow up questions or other questions for you on how to navigate it, um, your journey, team, sport, anything related to eating disorders. Send it our way, and we'll be recording next. But before we close out, we always get to ask each other a fun question that the other person was not prepared for. (laughs) I've been going back and forth between two questions all day. Okay, mine is so random. I don't know why this one is so hard for me. I need to like, I need to start brainstorming, I think, earlier. I think spontaneity might not be in your room. (laughs) I feel like spontaneity. What's up? (laughs) I said it's not my strong suit. No, spontaneity would not be your strong suit. I'm working on it. Be working on it. Okay, you go first, Abs. Okay, so this is a would you rather. Ooh, I like it. Switching it up here. Would you rather be a twin, like have a twin, or parent a twin? Oh my gosh, Abby. Twins, I should say. Okay, this is also kind of creepy that you asked me this question because I'm obsessed with twins and like reading twin studies right now for school and I want to do like my research project for this human growth and development class on twins and I was going to actually ask you if I could contact your mom because your mom's a twin. Are you kidding? Yeah, this is so weird. Yeah, okay, so I would rather parent a twin. Um, I've always dreamed actually of someday having twins and I think it would just be fascinating And I'm sure in reality, it might be more challenging than fascinating, but I am really interested in twins. And how about you? What? Do you have any twin genes in your family? Not that I'm aware of. So maybe, no, I don't know. Maybe my future future partner partner will, or maybe I'll adopt twins. Who knows? There you go. Lots of ways. So Abs, what about you? Would you rather parent a twin or be a twin? Oh, gosh, I didn't actually think about that much for myself. So, yeah, my mom is a twin. And it's such a gift in so many ways. And, like, I, my auntie Di has, like, been one of my closest aunts. And, you know, growing up, like, we always spent so much time together. Um, I know it poses challenges as well. So I think that – I think I would actually say parent a twin as well. Like, it's it's something – so maybe what what had me thinking about it is my sister just had a baby, as you know, five months ago. And, and so I've been talking, I have two sisters, um, with them about like, you know, so usually, I guess, I don't know how founded this is, but usually twins, I guess, skip a generation. So my mom was a twin. So 
one of us could potentially have twins. And we've been, I've been talking to my husband, like, what, like, what would that be like, you know? So yeah, it would be really, it would be like probably one of the hardest things we'd ever do, but, um, I'd be ready. I'd be in for that challenge. I love it. My question for you, Abby, continuing on the theme of running (laughs) is tell me the story of the most lost you've ever gotten on a run. Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Oh. Okay, I would say, I think I'm probably going to come up with a better answer in 10 minutes, but I I have a memory of getting lost um, during college. Um, we had this uh, summer called sophomore summer. It was this, it was as it sounds the summer after sophomore year, it was a regular academic term at Dartmouth. But, um, my teammates and I, because of, um, competing, we didn't take classes. We were just on campus doing whatever. And, um, so yeah, so we ran, we, in Hanover, there were like tons of trails, amazing places to run. We were like, well, well, it's the summer and like, we have the freedom to get lost. Like we might as well try it. And I have this amazing, uh, teammate named Bridget who is like, usually the queen, like, she's like very directionally sound, like spatially. She just knows what's going on this particular day. She was not, (laughs) and she, she probably would remember it. Well, it was this run that we were there's this run called sound of music that we did often, but there was a longer version called long sound. And I have this memory of us getting lost on long sound. I don't even know how long we were out there. I just remember being starving, you know, like that's like the greatest fear, right? You're like out on this long run and then you get hungry and you're like, what am I going to do? I'm in the woods. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was this balance of like, there were some moments of panic, but we made it. Um, after an undefined amount of time <laughs> and it was beautiful. So like it really, it could have been a lot worse. Could have been raining and cold, but yeah. What's your memory? When I was living in Ethiopia the year after college, um, I was living in a place called Salulta and there was this big Valley and I went out on a morning run by myself and I was like, Oh, I'm going to go down into the Valley and I'm going to go through the farmland and then loop it back And I just got lost in the valley. And I think I was gone for three and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. And at this point, I wasn't even running. I just started walking, just trying to. And I was, like, you know, in the mud in the valley. And more than being starving, I was just really thirsty. I just remember being so thirsty for water. And you can't drink, like, tap water in Ethiopia, nor was there any tap water in the valley. Um, so I found actually like a power line and knew that if I, if I followed the power line, it would take me back to the road. And then if I got to the road, I could eventually get to like the compound where I lived. And so that's how I made my way out. But I remember just like being so deep in the valley and, you know, like wild horses are running by me and farmers are looking at me like, what is this white girl doing in the middle of nowhere? And yeah, it was an adventure. And then I got back to where I lived and the young Ethiopian women I lived with, none of them spoke English and there was no translator. So I couldn't explain to them like why I'd been gone for so long. Um, And they were, one of them started crying and, you know, it was like blessing me because I think they thought I was like gone, gone. So yeah, it was kind of dramatic, but it was also really beautiful. And actually last January, 
when I went back to Ethiopia for the Bokoji 100 Ultra Marathon that I made a film on, um, I actually went back to the valley by myself. So on the day, like before I flew out from Ethiopia, I wanted to return to where I'd lived and I'd never gone back. And I did a walk because I wasn't running at that time down into the valley and like did what I had actually intended to do, which was loop it. And that was pretty incredible to go back there and kind of get back that that memory. Yeah, rewrite it with a positive one. I mean, not that it doesn't sound like it was super negative the first one, but still scary in a in a <laughs> that'll be scary in America. Never mind Ethiopia. Yeah, where there's not, like, you don't have a phone and it's not easy to yeah. access people who speak English or totally. It was also pretty, probably pretty irresponsible of me to just take, you know, just to go deeper and deeper in the valley. But you do those things when you're running. Adventurous spirit. <laughs> so thank oh, you, Abs. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. And, and we're excited to continue the series. So maybe you're injured, coming out of injury, or healthy and just want to optimize your training and recovery. Either way, I'd highly recommend you check out X Endurance's Collagen and Greens. Collagen and Greens is a recovery protein powder that both Abby and I take daily. I take one scoop with six to eight ounces of water, either in the morning or post-exercise. I incorporate one scoop in my morning smoothie. To experience Collagen and Greens yourself, you can receive up to 10% off when purchasing it at shop.teamxnd.com slash running on ohm, which is linked to in this episode's show notes. A big thank you to X Endurance for supporting this episode of the show. It's always a gift to get to share and learn from Abby. Thank you to all those who submitted questions for this past month's episode. And if you're in the middle of injury or on the road back, our hearts are with you. Next month, we're going to be focusing our conversation on eating disorders in honor of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Submit your questions for next month's episode on runningonome.com slash soulsistersessions. We already began to share about our personal journeys with eating disorders in episode 223, and the conversation is not over, folks. We would be honored to get to discuss your questions or help you on your journey. At the heart of this podcast, it's about creating community a place for women's voices to be elevated and celebrated by everyone. Three very simple ways you can help support this podcast that in total will take you less than three minutes are first, leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. iTunes reviews are a huge help in spreading the word about the podcast and help new listeners find it. If I reach 1,000 reviews by halfway through 2020, that's June 2020, I have a very exciting surprise in store for the Running on Home community. And if you've already written a review, you're my hero. Thank you. Second is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Third, share the podcast with a friend. Nothing beats word of mouth if you have a coworker, running buddy, family member, or maybe your dog that would enjoy hearing Abby and I nerd out about running please share this episodes with them. Right now, my goal as I return to podcasting is to release three episodes a month. So that makes next week an off week. But please stay tuned for the first Tuesday in March for a very special conversation with one of my best friends, Emma Spencer, as she reflects both before and after her Olympic trials marathon. Thank you to the incredible podcast team that helps make Rue a reality, Nick Errol for podcast management, Tim Briggs for design, 
John Summerford for audio production, Caitlin Marie Minor Ong for illustration and my new album artwork. Thank you to this team. Thank you for listening. Lots of love and gratitude and look forward to connecting soon. Thank you.